Welcome to the Big Stomp, the Bunkerzilla radio show that roars at the latest stories and discussions in geek culture today. So, what are we waiting for? Let's start stomping. Good evening, it's 8pm on Thursday the 28th of May and this is the Big Stomp Live. I am the Raggedy Man, pop culture dilettante, constantly circling the punch bowl of life and joining me tonight to stomp through the most interesting geek stories of the month, we have three amazing members of the Bunkerzilla team and they are Hugh Kenneth David, co-host of the Hustlers of Culture and of Real History and media professional par excellence. Shenny, event organizer and content consumer extraordinaire, and Lizzie, redheaded rambler and fandom connoisseur. And as always, we have you, the wonderful people watching or listening to this live. Yes, the greatest peanut gallery ever assembled, currently on Twitch and Discord. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the topics discussed, so please get chatting and we'll read out comments throughout the show. Please note that we are moving over to Twitch at the wonderful twitch.tv slash UK. So future episodes will be there rather than on the movie station. Sorry, on the Discord station. And there will be a further half hour of conversation on there tonight. So please join us there. It's really fun. It's also the first time we've done it. So today's magic word is jinkies. Anyway. Enough of that. Let's get on with our first topic for this episode, and that is you. So, uh, my topic is tonight the very controversial and very recent decision by American film and TV company Warner Brothers as a studio to resurrect a particular version of a recent blockbuster film they made, which is Justice League. Uh, which famously went through very public changes in its in the video it was released, and has now has been the subject of a fan campaign, uh, but has also been discussed many times by people who worked on the project in the industry. As of last week, during a Man of Steel on-air um, watch party, the director of both films, Zack Snyder, in conversation with with Henry Cavill, revealed that he has been given permission by Warner Brothers to create or recreate, depending on who you believe, his cut of Justice League before he had to leave the production and Joss Whedon took over. This is coming soon on HBO Max. I say soon, about a year. Who knows? Could be longer. I'm just interested in the film. Unfortunately, a lot of other people are more interested in everything but the film, which is why I wanted to raise it tonight. So, folks, what are your thoughts on Warner Brothers saying, yes, you can have Zack Snyder's Justice League? My opinion is um, Justice League is trash and will remain trash no matter how many cuts you put out for it. <laughs> um... <laughs> Right, wow. I, I, I mean, Young Man and I did a whole episode on this on Redhead's Ramblings about mm-hmm. how our opinions on this. I'm sorry, the movie is trash and nothing you do will improve it. And maybe firing it into the sun. Can we do that? It was bad. Indisputably bad. <laughs> um, yep. Jenny, any thoughts on the movie? <laughs> Or on this news? I thought it was trash. <laughs> so, and I watched it on Monday. The, the Netflix version, the standard version was out on Monday, so I watched it. And I didn't... It's just bad. Like, the... 
I don't understand. I, I just don't see how a Snyder Cut is going to make it better if Joss Whedon feigning it in couldn't save it. So I don't know. Like it's, I, it's, I, it's an interesting artifact, but I don't think it's going to be a better film because of it. I'm, I'm not sure if uh, Josh Whedon coming in to save the day is necessarily the kiss of death on it. Um, but from all I've seen, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I mean, when Josh Whedon be salvaged, and, yeah. and I agree that uh, we're agreed that it was a trash movie. No, you guys are. Oh, and, and, Ooh. You, hang on, you're going to actually defend the, the the original version of not not. I mean, I will either. defend the prequels. No, I'm, there, I'm there, is, gonna, there is merit to defending films that people don't like. <laughs> I'm not going to defend Justice League as it emerged. I'm going to defend yeah, the yeah, idea. We're about Justice League in the moment. Oh, okay. Sorry, that's that's not what I quite what I well asked, yeah. but fair enough. Yeah, go on. No, that, that that's the thing is that okay, Hugh. How do you think? A director's cut of it could save it because oh, for a, a start, it was awful. For a start, they took away the entire third act. For a start, second of all, it was supposed to be two films, not one. So you don't even have a sense of where the story was going in that sense, right? Thirdly, is the fact that if you believe the guys who used to work on, well, the ones who continue to work on WB's animated movies, who were all heavily involved in storyboarding and designing uh, all three of the Snyder films. There's um, the idea was to create an epic sequence that runs from Man of Steel through Batman vs Superman through Justice League One and Two, which would then leave all the characters in the much happier, more positive place that everybody wants to see them in. The idea was to show how these Olympian gods, particularly if you take Alex Ross's vision of them in um, oh crikey, what was his 1950s Justice League redo? Um, anyway, the point is that the the envisioning of DC heroes as these as more than just mortals, which goes right back to Alan Moore and, and well yeah, before him, um, is Snyder's vision. It's a very 80s DC vision. It's very much an Elseworld. And his idea was to move it to the point where you could just go, right, that's it. That's fine. We've got rid of the dark, grim, dark version because the heroes have triumphed. On with the show. And then you get your Wonder Womans and your Aquamans and your big glossy color ones that we've just had. Okay? Um, now... Whether that'll work, I don't know. Whether it'll happen, I don't know. They're talking about a six-part or eight-part miniseries. I don't know. Personally, I think there's a really good reason why it's happening. It's got nothing to do with the fans. But hey. Um, would that be that all the films and the bulk of TV is in production lockdown and he just said he can make them a blockbuster for the pretty damn cheap $30 million? Basically. Footage yeah. is there. Content is there. People have saved all the assets. It's... it's- this is hmm. happening because... But it's not a film. I don't think he's going to make a film. I think he's going to make a TV series. I think that's what's going to happen because that's what HBO Max is built on. And I think HBO Max, in particular, looking at who was there at the meeting, at the, the, or at least according to the PR, who was there at the meeting that, where this decision was taken, I think they're looking at last year's Watchmen on HBO and going, can we have one of those, please? For 30 million? Well, given the assets are already done. Sorry, Lizzie. Yeah, no, I'm just, you're saying he wanted to make it a longer movie and he wanted to make it two movies. I, I seriously don't see how the Justice League we got 
if you made that longer, was going to be any better. Because... You're not making the version you got longer, are you? This is what I'm trying to say. The version you got just doesn't tell the story it was supposed to tell. It has been rewritten and reshot to tell a different version of a, of a part of a bigger story. Okay. That's what I'm saying. And comic books, fundamentally, particularly DC comic books, tend to function on that bigger arc. You know, it's that thing that the, all the old that the 80s miniseries and the 90s Elseworld series when they finally did, did it did so well. Here's four issues, or here's six issues if you see each of the films as an issue it, then i can see what he's getting at if you look at the marvel way which has always been you know claremont's classic style and x-men in the 80s here here's the villain oh no we've lost quick next issue oh no we figured out how to beat him end of issue right on to the next villain on the next issue and yeah that is very much how you know marvel in the comics works not how it works in the movies necessarily and i find it interesting that his, his proposals fit a lot of things and ideas that dc have always done and done very well i just don't think what we got was anything like what we were going to see i'd also like to comment that the um the episodic nature is something that a lot of people said really worked with the marvel movies so that's not how marvel themselves normally work which is interesting it's one of those fascinating um, the amount of dc things i find happening in the marvel movie universe is interesting but it is something that a lot of people did comment on the Marvel movie. So the concept you're describing is a successful one. We know that. So just pointing yeah, that one out. Precisely. There. So with with the with the with the sort of movie element, uh, which is what we're discussing, because this this is what the Justice League is. Whether it's going to be a TV series or whatever is the plan in the future. Currently, it is a feature-length presentation of two and a bit hours. I can't remember exact length of it, but it was long enough. Um, and I don't... When you go see a movie, you want a beginning, a middle, and an end. Even if it's part of a trilogy, or there's gonna, you know there's going to be a sequel, like, say, using Avengers, like the end, you know, the, the, sort of the one that ended with Endgame, it still had a coherent beginning, middle, and end. Whereas... The version we got didn't. No, but I'm saying there's... If it had a script at the beginning that had all those elements, how did they go from that to what we got? I don't know if the script was strong enough to give us what what we as a viewing public want. Well, Chris Terrio won an Oscar, so I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, but also given how everybody who was involved was taken off the project pretty much in terms of that element that level of creativity you just came in on the basis that he would give them one of the brothers were running scared remember the public outcry then I mean, this is one of the funny things about this entire thing is their fan outcry then was oh my god you've gone grimdark and it's not working leaving aside how much money they were making that's a different matter but I find it fascinating that when they finally said, okay, let's get a bit of the Marvel magic just at the point where Joss is jumping ship from Marvel and then suddenly his wife is given money to write about in public about her private therapy after 10 years. Um, I, you know, and suddenly his career gets torpedoed and suddenly there's all these fans who are saying, well, I never liked um, Avengers 2 anyway, um, which again, is it true? Is it not? I don't know. It's all just dialogue on the internet. Reality is all these things made money. Joss is considered to be the guy who made it work. They bring him in and they expect him to fix it, even though they are two thirds done and there's a four hour rough cut already delivered, which they've seen. Hang on. Right so, now. Just to clarify. Not finished, about, but rough cut. What, what we're talking about is that his original vision was four hours long. I mean, do we know roughly what proportion of his cut made it into the movie? Depending oh, on who you talk Depending on who yeah. you talk to, do we know? 
We have a rough idea, but no one knows for sure. I mean, the guess is possibly between 40 and 50% at best. But the problem is so many scenes have been had dialogue redone completely or redubbed that scenes that are there that were shot by him, do they count? They don't count in the sense of percentages because other things have changed. Are you essentially saying that it, the, the movie we saw just had none of Schneider's input? Or are you saying- no, I'm saying that they took certain ideas. They took certain basic elements of it. Yeah. Yeah, because there was that, those things were too expensive to reshoot, and then they did what they could with other scenes. So um, all, the, all the comedy interactions, the comedy interactions, the conversations, all those things, the under, depending on who you talk to, again, I don't know, right? We won't know until we see this, you know? There's, uh, I'm reporting this, speculation. Okay, this is where I'd get, I'd get worried about it, because I sat through Man of Steel, and I've sat through um, Dawn of Justice, and I, I'm not convinced that his version would have. They weren't good, in my opinion, very good films. So See, I'm I love sure. them. I love them both. Well, fine. <laughs> I, I, I think. I can't really I, break that. Step. I like it. I don't. No, 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 no. I, I can <laughs> no, offer you, you reasons. Fine. I can offer you reasons why I like it if you want. I mean, I don't know if that's what we're here to do. But Lizzie, to your Joss Whedon was brought in to fix it save it whatever the reason he was brought in to save it the thing is just Whedon for all his talents and whatever he isn't the person that makes his projects work not alone like he's got you know writers he's got actors he's got you know so yeah, agreed like the thing I never got was everyone was like oh no Snyder's is Snyder's vision is wrong and I'm like well no but it's not just his vision because he's not done everything himself and then there's people who say Joss Whedon's vision is better but again it's not just Joss Whedon's vision so my topic so the cameraman the director of photography right musician special effects guys storyboard people several of the actors have all said publicly that they know they shot scenes. There are people who aren't even in the cut <laughs> that we've seen who have said, oh, by the way, I was in the film, but obviously you won't see me in this version, um, which, of course, happens with a lot of films. This is just how it is. This is, you know, we could have spent, like we spent with Blade Runner, like we spent with Heaven's Gate, like we spent with um, Crikey, you name any film that's been lost. I mean, take you know, even A Star is Born from 54 with Judy Garland is still not fully restored. You know, they, they barely, managed, they've had to piece it together with stills. Warner Brothers, in, who, for whom that is one of their releases, I should point out, they are, Blade Runner was one of theirs, and Blade Runner was the first film that pop culture remembers as being a director's cut, but it's not the first one. And they've always screwed around with director's visions, they've screwed around with producer's visions. That 1954 version of A Star is Born was reshot, was taken away by from Kuko and repeatedly. Even the version before that from William Wellman in 37 was supposedly reshot and taken away by the producers. This is a thing that happens normally. The difference is we now have the internet where everyone makes a thing about it. If we didn't know this, I would sit, happily sit there with you and say, this is a piece of trash. Absolutely. Using The Star is Born with Judy Garland. Yeah, I know bits of it, but... Yeah. yeah, but using Judy Garland's version of A Star is Born, the reason that it had to get cut so epically is she was coked out of her brain for half of it. That, that's cut. only part of the reason. Yeah, but no, but, part, but the thing is, like, the cutting room floor is a standard in Hollywood. It's not a mm. new thing. So, yeah. uh, but, for, for me, listening so, to Snyder moan about it i was going to swear there but i'm not going to it's sort of a case of 
no, I, it's like that kid who, you know, you're all having fun and he's like, well, I want to do this. And everyone's like, no. So he's like, well, okay, well, I'm taking the ball and going home. And well, if it is ball, what's the problem? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't his ball. But it wasn't his ball alone. It was, well, that's, who, that's who why. was it then? It was the studios. The studio right. right. He, and the, he, the studio the wants to make ball. a decision now. I'd just like to, I'm just going to say, it was the studio's ball. They took it off him and he complained about it vehemently. The studio now gets a benefit from, as we said, they're doing this because they can actually do I mean, it. I thought Snyder left project for personal reasons anyway. He did. His daughter's uh, committed suicide. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, not... I don't begrudge him for leaving the project at all. No, God, no. I never did. I think, I think, I, never did. I think the problem is that, that we are, it was so vision. steeped. Yeah. I mean, but that's the problem. I think that the end product was never his vision. Yeah. Precisely. So what the end product was, was an idea of how Joss Whedon interpret or how a board of people interpreted um, Snyder's idea. Exactly. But with the with the with this cut, does that mean that fundamental elements leading up to this film will be changed as well? Given that Steppenwolf was never meant to be the main villain for Justice League, he was right. meant to appear in Suicide Squad and didn't. Mm-hmm. And the uh, what's it? Oh Christ! Name it's gone from I, my head. Darkseid. Darkseid was meant to be the big bad. Exactly. But yeah, does that mean is... that, that retroactively the, the the Snyder cut for this film will fix? The other bits? Who knows? You're, you're... I, I don't know. It's amazing. I've never seen anyone try this before. I've watched every director's cut that I've been, I was able to get my hands on from the time that I was mm. able. VHS came along and we at home I... could access them, you know? And it's been a fascinating journey watching which directors mm. get the privilege of, as Lizzie says, doing something that is perfectly normal in Hollywood, scraping up the cuttings from the cutting room floor. There's... And those who get the privilege to put it back in and those who don't. And I find it interesting that this is the one that's been so public. And has created a movement of, let's be honest, frankly, immensely toxic people. Yeah. <laughs> alongside a whole bunch of people who are not American, not online, not interested in any of this stuff, who are fans, right? You know, Snyder's films do very well in Latin America, for example. Um, and I think it's interesting that, and not, not just there, you know, some of the French cinema critics debate on it has been very interesting. I have, yeah, I. I like them, and I like them for reasons that I can fully explain and justify whether or not anyone wants to agree with me. It's another matter. It doesn't matter. Just me. But the thing is that I'm saying that uh, those some of us are genuinely interested in seeing what comes out of this. I just think I, it's interesting that everyone's gone. Not everyone. I just think it's interesting that the the back there's been a, a backlash to the backlash, and I'm just wondering how many more backlashes we're going to get, given everyone <laughs> sitting at home with nothing else to do, until it turns up. I think the the. I mean, I'm, I'd be very interested to see how, what it is. Because, the, like you said, there's never been anything like this before. Exactly. But, but release uh, the Snyder Cut seemed like not a pipe dream. It seemed like ramblings of madmen. Yeah, that, I agree. For, they were so long. So many nutters that were just looking at it, going like, yeah. "What are you asking for? Yeah. The film cannot be saved. Look at yeah. it. Even the stuff that Snyder directed was garbage. The scenes that we knew he did, or we assumed that he worked on." don't work from a very, 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 very basic like theatrical or just film standpoint. Well, what do you mean by the, okay. the scene, the scene I mean, in not... Justice League where they introduce Batman and he's throwing um, this guy off Gotham. They don't move like people. They move like actors in a green-screened environment, which is something that wasn't quite so prevalent in the Avengers film. So it looks really fake. And it doesn't 
and maybe that's just post-processing that the editors had a bit more um, time and uh, money, like leeway in it. Mm. Well, if you look at which production houses were involved and also the time crunch, yeah, I think. I yeah, think no, that, that's the other thing, right? So, stuff looks yeah. weirdly out of focus, not out of focus. Um, there's a I scene. Mean, that, okay, so the they, the one scene that I remember vividly is that there is a shot reverse shot of uh, Aquaman talking to Bruce Wayne as he backs off into the water to then swim away. The scene where they flip to Aquaman looks really overexposed, and I can't tell if it's green screen or not, but it doesn't look real. One of the things that, you, that we were able to see early on, even just by comparing trailers to the final cut, is that Whedon, or under Whedon's direction, or whoever was directing Whedon to direct, everything was lightened. Everything was brightened. Hmm. So that overexposure is post-production adding that so that everything looks right. bright like a Marvel film. That's what they claimed. Yeah, right. I don't know. You've definitely got a situation with an awful lot of cooks involved in that one. Uh, going back to what, to what Hugh, uh, Hugh was saying, it, the, the, yeah, it, we're seeing something quite spectacular. Uh, we are seeing a retcon of a, un, of a movie universe uh, which hasn't which anyone who reads comics is well used to just reboots and sidelines, but for this kind of thing, it's quite, quite impressive. And yeah, with regards to the fandom, what, what they wanted, no one knew. They just, it was an amazing example of fandom buy-in and overcommitment um, that then got really lucky because of COVID-19, which, great, his movie, people get to make a judgment on that shame it had to happen because of the current situation anyway coming in from the peanut gallery uh we ha- who have we got on tonight uh we have historian jane do you think it m- they might improve harvey kyvel's digital face no there is no saving that 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 uncanny valley chin that, that thing was- that was probably the most distressing thing of the entire movie and cross eyed jane <laughs> Jenna, yeah. he can't read. <laughs> it's it's a running it's a running thing on the big stomp. He never gets her name right. I never get anyone names right. Uh, and we've also from the cross-eyed gainer. Only top-level directors like Spielberg and Hitchcock got full creative control over what got produced. Unfortunately, that's a simple fact. Even if some, you know, you got to be incredibly successful to be able. To make, uh, I'd, I'd argue that other directors have had that privilege as well, and they're not always yeah, that good. I've well, watched some terrible it, directors' cuts in my that, time. It's that scale. Anyway, the level of insanity that Hitchcock was as well. It's, yeah, I mean, Ridley Scott didn't get it till late in his career. Tony didn't get it till True Romance. And Ridley, and he made up for it by how many re, how, how many cuts of Blade Runner do we have? Minimum. Minimum, yeah, possibly six, three, depending three, on six? six. Yeah, yeah. Depends who you talk to. Yeah. Any. Paul Salmon says there's at least six. So. Anyway, uh, and ducking away from Jenna before I get smacked, as I, I'm sure I will do. We are on to the next topic, and that is I've got to stop touching my notes. That is with Shani. Oh, now you've uh, I've got to introduce my little topic. Yes. So, oh, oh, oh! I need to think. No, I lost it. Right. So, the topic is that in the wake uh, of COVID-19, we're obviously in an unprecedented scenario where 
conventions and events of all sizes, music, whatever, have had to obviously shutter their doors for, at the moment, we don't know, but the estimate is obviously a minimum of a year. Since then, there's been a rise of online events trying to fill that gap. Now, the cynic in me is telling me that this is most likely just to uh, keep the brand alive while they can no longer continue the event. But given that we've had some very successful online conventions and cosplay events so far, do you reckon that this is these online events will be a new norm that we'll see more regularly as a way to fill stop gaps between larger events? So I think sort of yes. Because think about it, you like I mean, I have never run a convention. There are people here today who have. Um, but you know, getting a convention off the ground as like a, a new convention, that's quite a hard thing to do. But I think it maybe the online convention scene might be a way for events to dip their toe in the pond, as it were. You know, hey, we're going to run this online event where we're going to have like an online cosplay thing and you can come and chat and hang out with people who are interested in the same thing as you. And I think socially it might be quite a good thing. Hmm. I'm going to I'm going to actually Ian, throw my camera. I'm going to see if this works. This is going to be uh, OK. So uh, an example that I have of one that was an interesting take on this was a convention in Germany. Now. Dokumi is a convention that speaks to uh, or has about 4,000 attendees. So what I'm going to show you is that their digital event consisted of a TV studio, which they hired out so that they were um, within, uh, what was it? So they could actually show. Um, like two not show. What's the, oh, I forgot my so, bloody words. Social so they were. Yes, yes. So they were socially distant with Germany's laws. Yeah. So if you can see my screen, um, yeah, that is the post. So that is their studio. But they also had a VR chat like level, as it were, designed for them, which has a bunch of stuff in it that would replicate what you'd see at a convention. So it was all their branding, all their stuff there. Um, you know, you had, um, there were market stalls, there was a stage, um, and because it was a VR chat, you could obviously have people walking around, but it was a very, very interesting take on the digital convention scene in the, it wasn't just a slide, a bunch of slideshow panels or a bunch of craft streams or a bunch of round table people talking like, like the show is. So this was a very, very interesting one for me to see, but obviously this kind of event doesn't get the retention and, um, a live event or an actual event would do. So this convention in Germany garners around thirty to 40,000 people. Their online event had about 3,000 people at peak. Now, there were, a f there, there were more, I think, maybe 5,000 peak as well. But as a... Um, and they also had a stupid name for it as Creamy Island. But they... <laughs> Sorry, I mean... They, I mean, as, as... Yeah, I know. But as an event... That is something very different in the digital space. Um, and it really struck me as something that could be possible more frequently because it is cheaper to run quite predominantly. Lizzie, are you okay? You've gone quite beat. Yeah, she's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. 
I, I think I think the main thing I think the main thing it demonstrates well the two main things from my view is number one virtual reality is becoming more of a viable environment although there's still an awful distance to go a lawfully long distance to go um and that people like these events i mean 3000 you 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 basically said they had a 10% retention on the virtual event that's yeah i think impressive. excellent that's i think I mean, I think roughly that's roughly the numbers that people expect is that you're never going to get the retention that obviously a live event is going to get. Um, so 10% is pretty much arguably what you can 10%. hope for. Yeah, but you, 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 if you've got... We're talking about thousands of people engaging and presumably, mm. at least on some level, enjoying an event in a virtual environment. Uh, I thought you were going to say something like 300. That's I no I so oh, I, I convers- thought you were going to say they had like three hundred people at the no day. no I mean they from so from I mean even if they had three hundred people that's arguably a success because all they did was play games on their Discord channel threw it up as a, on a live stream and they had this three D space that people could walk around on um, still which you know for something that you threw together if you have the capital for that's not actually that bad um especially you could you could still use you still have marketing opportunities because what you basically created is a tv show for a couple of days yeah. you know and we're seeing that um all the anime are running their cloud matsuri this weekend mm-hmm. um or uh the weekend of the 29th for those that are going to be listening to this late um if you know and they've got money. talent if it gets the money in, because what you got to remember is an awful lot of people have lost the money for their shows and for their conventions. I'm talking big, com- you know, big events like MCM, down to small events that don't know if they if they're going to be happening. There's a lot of I I know events that have ban- been bankrupted because yeah. of this. So if people are putting that, I can think of like three or four events that if they turn around to me and went, "We're not running this year, but we're having an online," bung us a tenner. Yeah, I'd be there. Probably hang around for two minutes. Oh, so I might even not turn up. I'd throw him a tenner. Mm. I, th- I think it's that sense of community that people are missing. So I think that's one of the reasons they're missing the gap. And I, I think one of the reasons they're trying to do stuff like this is purely to survive. So I don't. I don't think currently a lot of them are monetized. Is the weird thing. Um, a lot of them are just. This is something that we can do for our communities. Um, so anime lockdown in the US um, took place at the beginning of May. It was three days. They had, they did have industry guests in the t- well, two voice actor guests um, in the terms of Veronica Taylor and someone else whose name escapes me. But they requested to be part of the project. Like they saw that this was happening and they reached out to be uh, to do Q and A panel. And you had um, industry legends like Mike Tool do panels on the the weird anime stuff that um, involves cults. If that panel was somewhere online, I'd recommend going check check that out. Um, and you had little craft things where people were showing, uh, doing craft streams um, and presentations, trying to make various little bits and bobs. So, but so far, none of it has cost anything. It's always it's been for the community in the sense that this stuff doesn't exist and people don't get paid. So, it, it's not quite there yet in terms of something that would recoup any costs in any sort of the word. Sorry, Lizzie, you've had your hand up. 
my question was going to be like one does this cost you anything to attend because you know as andrew pointed out lots of people have lost their jobs due to covid and you know money is tight and or they're on reduced hours and things and you know when you're worrying about what how you're going to pay your rent even chucking a tenner at an online convention you might not be able to do that mm-hmm. i mean in terms of in, in terms of what the costs for these online events are um it is literally just time because everyone, if you're still being paid by your company, if you're, if you're lucky enough to be in a position where your company is still paying you, like I'm, uh, like I'm still working from home. Um, I have been since all that started, we, you know, we, we did a work from home test to see if it was all viable. And then we, I've never left the flat since. Um, so for these events, it doesn't, cost anything with Dokumi being the exception because they went and hired a studio to be uh within the guidelines of their social distancing laws the all the anime event is also a pay, one that you need to pay to get into i believe is it yeah i believe uh, i'll double check quick to the internet i'd have to double yeah i mean uh sign up for a newsletter guest about there's no tickets page on their on the website for it yeah, but is it that you have to? Because you know, I've seen lots of things where people are like, "Yeah, if you want to come along to this, you have to throw some money through us at Patreon or through PayPal, or you know, they have like a virtual tip jar, if that makes right. sense." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's yeah, not that it, it's not that there is a set price, but it's like you have to donate Obviously. something to get in. So yeah, it's one of those. It's the catch twenty two of where we all are right now. I mean, I've wanted conventions for years to go online, and even while they're airing or in the week afterwards, for all the people who can't go to them. You know, I don't think I've ever worked a convention that wasn't oversubscribed or overattended, and they just got more like that over the years. So you know, one you know, YouTube channels, live streaming. You know, even the, in the states, it took them forever to do that. Going mm. virtual strikes me as a really interesting way of doing it. But as Lizzie says, it's also a difficult time. Everyone's trying new stuff now. We're all trying new stuff. Um, but as she said, not all of us are earning enough or earning what we were earning. And it's kind of, it is an interesting, how do we, this is part of the problem of how we reestablish or how we recreate some of these industries after, or even if there's ever an after of this situation. Mm. You know, ad- adaptation is the key. And I love the idea that these guys are doing what the French polit- you know, elections used to do with, with Second Life, you know? Where yeah. you'd have your... Oh, God! You know, it's, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, you know, where you have your party and you have your rallies and it's all inside. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> scarily, talking of toxic people again. <laughs> you know? It's almost like they're everywhere. <laughs> Funny, that what, what worries me is them getting there first. That's scary. Um, but yeah, no, I think you've got a really interesting point. This, this is this fascinates me. I, I mean, the German cons were so far ahead of the British cons when I went there in whenever it was we did it with ADV. So that would have been 2005, 2004, yeah, they... 2005, 2006 already. And just to see them go this do this now doesn't surprise me. But I also wonder how easily can that sort of thing be done over here? Because at least there, so many more of them are on benefits or receiving, you know, they're in a better economic state than we are. And the fact that they're already starting to test, you know, lifting options already with a lower death count, you know. Mm. I mean, the point that I, it's something we were talking about before this all started, but again, accessibility, these online conventions, 
sometimes it's really hard when you are differently abled or you know to go to a convention because yeah. you're away you're you've got a you don't know what the room's going to be like half the time you don't know what the sort of site's going to be like can i get up the stairs is there a lift are there ramps everywhere you know is it accessible whereas if you want to go to a, and you want to go to a convention that's an added stress on top of everything else but if conventions are going to go virtual you do have the barrier of you need the equipment you've got to be able to get online so i agree that there's a, a lot of barriers removed but there mm. are different barriers in place yeah there are there will be different bar- mean, barriers you know having a good internet connection a decent computer things like that mm. but it's still more accessible i mean because let's be honest if things go on twitch you can watch twitch on your phone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it is the diablo response of well you've got phones don't you like (laughs) wait the response please explain that one um so a couple of years ago at blizzcon there was a big big they were teasing big announcements about diablo and what they didn't announce was diablo 4 but instead diablo immortal which i don't even think is even out and it's a phone game and this is not something that the Blizzard community, the, the Diablo community at BlizzCon wanted to hear from their, at their flagship convention for their flagship titles. The Blizzard come out and go, the next Diablo game, it's mobile. And one, of the, and one of the developer responses is, well, you've got phones, don't you? You've all got phones? So, I mean, in terms of accessibility for the for the virtual stuff, um, you know, like, uh, so in the in the Dokumi example, uh, obviously they had uh, this VR chat room which they built and designed. Um, you don't actually need a VR headset to get into there. You just need the VR chat program. Uh, that's- so instantly you've you've removed the need for a very, very specific piece of hardware that not everyone has because you look at it and go, well, I'm not spending 500 quid on a pair of goggles. That also, it I doesn't actually work. With- yeah. For and also, yeah, if you've got sight impairments, then it's yeah. not going to be, you're not going to be able to use it anyway. But I think yeah, so there is a... Yeah, I mean, but there is a limit to the kind of events that you could do virtually. Yes, you could do panels. Yes, you can do craft stuff. You can't do a masquerade. You can. I mean, can. how would you run it? Fashion uh, shows have... do it all the time. You watch them on telly. Easy. You you have people dialing in. You have people in. The okay, room. but that requires technology. That requires very very specific technology. So in terms oh, of yeah, dating, no, no, not, so that, the event. No, that's what so like, have to do. you're looking at like something that's that. Okay, that's a different issue. That's you. You said, "How do you do a masquerade?" And I gave you a solution. Everyone uses a webcam. Mm. I'm not saying that's a perfect solution. I'm saying that is a solution to that that question you asked. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'd arguably ask for a video of like do a runway walk through yeah. your kitchen. Well, you, but that's what fashion it. models are doing. My fashion models are doing that on Insta. That's literally what they're doing on Insta because they have hundreds of thousands of people watching them on Insta TV, and they're doing it in their kitchens. You know, I, I look at the amount of cosplayers and the amount of followers they've got on Instagram. They will probably mm. get more people turning up to their own kitchen walkthrough on their own or with a mate who's been isolating too than an entire convention will. It's it's going to be an interesting time. It's going to be fun to see how it all comes together. Uh, a couple of comments from the peanut gallery from historian Jenna. 
Uh, it's been interesting in the academic community as we've been able to have the talks, but not the networking, which can make and break careers and deals. So I'm thinking it's going back to conferences as soon as. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a, even a comic mentioned there's a lot of networking, people buy and sell stuff on the corporate scale there. Uh, uh, from Caldria, probably got that wrong. I think the online con would be a good way to keep some sort of gathering. As for actual cons, depending on the nature of the health problems caused by C19 in the future, we may see either fewer large events or more smaller events, depending on post-coronavirus environment. Yeah, we, we have no idea what's going to happen when people start going back to physical cons again. That's an entire different ball game, and some of us have got to deal with that here pretty soon uh cross-eyed gamer it's appealing for some those are unable to travel to regular cons or can't afford it but i don't think you permanently replace rl cons no i don't think anyone's looking at this as a permanent replacement at the moment Uh, yeah uh and from a personal comment my god i can go to a convention and not have to put up with screaming bo on the third day um or be hit in the face (laughs) by people's wings I was just thinking I can go in my pajamas. It's great. <laughs> yeah, well, Kim, does, Kim, Kim doesn't have to catch swine flu from someone. You know. Yeah, uh, you you can already go to conventions in your pajamas if you want to. There's nothing really stopping you. If anyone asks, just say you're cosplaying someone from the Jeremy Cole show. I mean, my anyway. own sense of social etiquette stops me from going out the house in my pajamas. Anyway, moving on to the next topic, we have Lizzie. Oh, oh yay! It's my turn. <laughs> so. My topic is gameplay trailers that don't actually have any gameplay in them. And I'm using Assassin's Creed Valhalla as a uh, prime example because it's the most recent one that came up. So on May 5th, Xbox tweeted, boot up Xbox 2020 with a new episode of Inside Xbox this Thursday, May 7th, for a first look at Xbox Series X gameplay from our global developer partners. Uh, Ubisoft then said, don't miss Inside Xbox tomorrow. Tune in and catch the first Assassin's Creed Valhalla first look gameplay trailer. And everyone's like, yes, great. New Assassin's Creed game. We're going to see gameplay. And then you get the most amazing pre-rendered cutscene and not even rendered in game. And Um, then it's, you know, and the internet lost it because it was just like, where's the gameplay? Please. I've I've seen this trailer and frankly I can't wait to see the TV series. It looks amazing. Yeah, um, and it's supposed to be a gameplay trailer. Um, and it was like everyone went, "What? Wait, what?" And the one of the oh god, what is he? This guy I can't remember what he is. He is the creative dis- director of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Tweeted at people who were quite understandably peeved off. You rightfully expected to see more today. We have a long marketing campaign of headers, and you will see in-depth gameplay and get a lot more info about the game. Thank you for your excitement and passion. Be patient with us and be kind. It will be worth it. How about don't say it's got gameplay if it hasn't got gameplay? Yeah, I mean, the trailer is still up on YouTube saying, first look gameplay trailer. I, I mean, this is... The needs to get shot. I, the thing is, like, people are... Uh, outraged at this sure but it's not new nothing nothing the games companies ever put out as a trailer has ever 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 been reflective of gameplay nothing ever has no, it's, it's not it's the fact that they're calling it a game okay. trailer 
Yeah. yeah. Right. Here is the thing. Here is the thing. That is simple terminology. You just say yeah. cinematic trailer. Done. I think, but and then with, I'm going to. So in 2013 or 2012, um, do you remember the Killzone 2 trailer for the PS3? No. Nope. <laughs> no. Right. So there, there, it was actually. So this, this uh, was actually addressed in a recent no clip documentary um, about uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, where they went and talked to Guerrilla Games and they talked about the Killzone 2 trailer. Now, the Killzone 2 trailer was a launch trailer for the PS3, which was touted as gameplay trailer um, for Killzone 2. Now, the Killzone 2 trailer looked remarkably like something that we would only have seen in the last couple of de- couple of years. But it was back in 2012, 2013, running on the PS3. This blew people's minds, and when the final tra- final game turned around, and it was basically just a bit of a shoddy Doom cl- like do- Doom game, people were looking at that and saying, "Like, where is this?" But it turns out, as through this interview, that that footage was a representative of a vision that they wanted to create for, and there- as it went around the company and somehow ended up in the hands of Sony. The marketing team at Sony took that as the um, and slapped it with this is gameplay. This is what the game looks like. This is how it's going to play. Meanwhile, the development studio in Poland was, or Amsterdam, I think, is where they're based, was screaming at the top of their heads, no, 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 no. This isn't, this isn't that. But they saw that at the same time as millions of other people did. Okay. They saw that their, like their said, internal so- vision was revealed as gameplay, and they were like, <laughs> No one here is saying that marketing never lies. I'm. It's just a bit unfair to say that they that nobody ever uses. There is gameplay so, footage. P- people no. do use gameplay, actual game. No, okay. Footage. So Ubisoft again, when they revealed Rainbow Six Siege, yeah. had a gameplay session and it was heavily scripted. Okay. The. In-game UI was not what would be in the final product, but right. you got a rough sense of what the game would be. Yeah. But did At they this tell point, you that before you saw it? No. They said oh. that this is a gameplay trailer. Yeah, but okay. So everybody knows that game the, the, the trailers that you see before a game comes out, stuff can change within production. Like, but yeah. what with even the Rainbow Six one, they were at least showing you game like footage filmed within the game even if it wasn't the final product it was still in the game in the engine in whereas this assassin's creed trailer as much as i love it don't get me wrong it's an amazing trailer but it has no game play at ever at all it's basically a a cinematic movie it's a cinematic movie of what they want the game to be and the fact they called it a gameplay trailer and told people you're gonna see gameplay annoyed people because when you think when someone says gameplay to me, it's going to be this is what the game will hopefully look like when it comes out in November, December time, whenever it's coming out. It's coming out in the holiday 2020, so Christmas rush time. And like for me, don't every I like I, all the Assassin's Creed trailers it, from Time Immortal, from the very first one. They know that they're always cinematic until later on when you get a gameplay trailer. So the fact that they were saying to us, "Hey, you're going to get gameplay in the first trailer for this," we were all like. Yeah, bring it on. And then it's like, where's the gameplay? The, f- the first second of this trailer, there is a disclaimer at the bottom that says game and console in development footage representative of expected Xbox Series X gameplay. 
yeah, what but you're looking not... at is not gameplay. No, I it is. It is again now. a representative vision yeah, because they've Jerry, said the first point... look gameplay yeah, is Jerry, a marketing not... blunder more yes, than anything. It's, that's what yeah. we're saying. It is a marketing blunder. But the point is that if, it, as speaking as someone who used to, who has blundered in marketing before <laughs> and been taken to account by fans who we all know, um, I I would point out that it's one thing to make a mistake on the first time out. When you make that mistake and then you don't correct it, you then double down by saying, yes, it's definitely gameplay to every request, every query, every comment, which is what I understand you're saying, Lizzie. It isn't just we announced it once and then backtracked because I saw I remember I was watching the campaign as it was launched myself. And I agree with you. They very much double down on the idea that what they were presenting with you and they of all people, as you've just pointed out, Shenny, with their own experiences, Ubisoft, they should know better. Now, either there's somebody new in marketing who doesn't know what's going on or somebody higher up did not look carefully at what they were signing off because, frankly, I would not have allowed that to go out if I was the head of marketing at the time because anybody can see it's a cinematic trailer. That dis- that disclaimer means it's a cinematic yeah, I trailer. Think, I think there's a... Like, maybe it just got, it, it got into the hands of Microsoft and they went, oh, good. We've got an Assassin's Creed gameplay yeah, trailer. Yeah, but we, but we should be making excuses for them at this stage. How no, 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 I'm, I'm not just, saying that we're not. But like, you know, it, Lizzie's got every right to be feel gypped, and so do all the other fans. And speaking as an Assassin's thing, Creed fan, is, I agree. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, I've got the trailer running at the moment, and like, having I'm playing through Odyssey for the first time at the moment, and I'm looking at this, thinking this looks like okay. So the time skip thing is there. Like, there's all this Assassin's Creed stuff that is there, and it just looks nice. The only thing missing is the UI. The movement of the character, who I assume is one of the main characters, moves like the character does in Odyssey, but the camera is in a different location. So they've obviously got some, they've obviously moved the camera around. So you could argue that this is running in engine as gameplay, sorry, but the camera is just not behind the character. So it's not a hundred. So it never. It's never going to be a hundred hundred percent representation of Assassin's Creed gameplay. It's not going to be it's like the Watch Dogs Three trailer, which was all gameplay. But that's the point, Jenny. Isn't that false advertising? Yeah, I think it's a terminology I mean, issue that I have. The, the the thing is, if if they'd said to me that this was a cinematic trailer, I'd have been fine. Like nobody would have had a problem. But the fact that they no, but, but there is a disclaimer in the video that said yeah, representative who, 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 of gameplay. Which Who means pays that it's attention not. to disclaimers anywhere? Then why are we I've talking about what, the, da- what they said in the thing? I've written enough of the damn things. I know no one looks at the small print. <laughs> but then it's not. Looks. But then it's not. Regardless of the disclaimer, you've got the situation where the people involved were hyping it, going, this is going to be a gameplay trailer, this is going to be a gameplay trailer. To then jump it in, to, to, to tell everyone you're about to show them a gameplay trailer... And then crank that out and put a tiny disclaimer at the bottom saying this is not a gameplay uh, trailer. The simple fact that they effectively did a bait and switch, that's yeah, that's the big yeah. issue. Although the question They did a bait be, and switch for the numbers, and I think well, that's really disrespectful of your fan group. Well, the, the quest, and I'm not trying to be cynical here, but... Is this going to help their sales? Because if this is going to yeah, help I mean, sales, and yeah, I, it's it's the fans it is. are going to buy it anyway. Then people are going to go, "Oh, that works." I mean, so, I've I've I mean, I've played Origin, I've played Odyssey. I imagine this is going to play exactly the same. I, I yeah. don't know what you want from a gameplay trailer at this point, where it's just going to be the no, same game in a gameplay. different skin. What okay, people I- want from a trailer that says "gameplay trailer" is they want to see the gameplay. But okay, using the video in question, 
27,000 likes. 27,000 likes and 53,000 dislikes. Wow. So Ouch. 27k likes, 53k dislikes. That should I mean, tell you oh. how oh my and God. how many views. Uh, views, views. Where does it tell? One, one, three, eight, five, one, five, two views. Yeah, so it roughly adds up. One, Close three. Enough. So that's why what hundred thousand or? I don't know. I I I'm really how bad with numbers. numbers were there? <laughs> It's about uh, right. Seven numbers. Right, so it's a couple. It's a million and a bit. That's what yep. they're going to be worried about. That, that's what's going to begin. And just to throw. Well, no, they won't be. Not if you're in marketing. You don't just worry about the the views. You look at the likes as well. That's relevant. Double the dislikes yeah. is a serious issue. I mean, you know, the first time I screwed up, I will never forget because of the what it what happened and the way it worked and the fact that the fan went online and wrote us a personal email and complained vocally and said he was going to take us to trading standards. And my boss was like, you put everything else on hold right now and you fix this right here, right now. That's how this is. This is before we worry. This is before we had YouTube to do this on. If if this if if I was working now with this and I saw those numbers Lizzie just gave me, I would genuinely say we screwed up, guys, and we should we should do something about it, even if it's the simplest thing of just changing the damn name on the YouTube trailer. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> Go in there and rename it. End of story. I'm surprised they haven't done that. Actually, that's my point, Jenny. They should have. I'm amazed they haven't done it. And as I say, this 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 chap from the the creative director of the game just saying, yeah, we know you expected more of it, but hey, what the hell? We're not going to give you what we said we were going to give you, and we're not even really going to apologise for it. We're just going to tell you to be patient. And it's like, um, mate. Couple. I just think that's really rude. That's really rude to people you expect to shell out cash, especially in this cash-strapped environment we've just mentioned, where a number of fans can't afford games anymore, well, however badly they want them. That's why they'll run every trick they can to... Uh, no, agreed. I, I, agreed. I, I just, anyway, I, I, going I just to the can't peanut... take gameplay trailers for what they are anyway. So Going to the peanut gallery for the moment. Oh, where are we? Uh, Cal... Uh, Caldera, uh, translation, ST STFU, you will buy it anyway, you plebs. Yes, people can be as outraged as they want. The only thing that will register is not buying it. Otherwise, it's screaming in the wind. Uh, he also mentions Jim Sterling, made, who's the Jim Inquisition, made an excellent analysis of it on his YouTube video. They're normally quite good. They're normally fa mm -hmm. fairly practically based. Go give them a, lot, a look. We got one from Historian Jenna. There was so so more outcry that that is dumb, like the complaints about there being women warrior Vikings from people who don't know history, like always. Uh, yeah, we're not going to argue with Jenna. She actually kind of really knows history, being a historian and all that. Uh, and... No. Uh, yeah, that's all the comments we got so far. But yeah, it's... It's a nightmare. I mean, talking of doing Jimquisition, I came across this story because a YouTuber that I follow, Young Year, did a whole sort of talk. He does a whole. He's done a whole video about it, and his his points are really good, and the the points he makes are really succinct. And you know, he does it. He does it from a fan point of view, but he does it respectfully. So you know, go check it out. You know, but it's still. Speaking as someone who has played Assassin's Creed from the very beginning, I remember when they announced the first game 
way, way, way back. I mean, I have special editions, I have figures, I have everything. Like, Assassin's Creed, for me, is one of the best franchises out there. And I am upset that they have just gone, yeah, we don't care. Hold that thought, because we're just going to have a quick split. Uh, Those of us listening to us on the radio channel... Thanks for tuning in. Much, much, much appreciated. Uh, for everyone on the Twitch, we're going to be carrying on there. But a very quick goodbye from all of us to all of those listening on the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you again uh, lo- last Thursday of June. Bye. Bye.